podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber, and this show is part of the 99.94 Network. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience via Spotify Live. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. All right, let's get this party started and start with some questions from the Patreonies. There is a great story about Erapali Prasanna approaching Gavin Robinson at a tour function with a very frank assessment of his bowling in India, which led to Prasanna running a coaching session with uh, or two with him. How often do former players uh, approach current players like this? And do you have a favorite story about this kind of thing? Uh, it happens all the time. Hey, the rare thing there is that Gavin Robinson is probably the sort of person who would listen. <laughs> I think most players, uh, I, they get so much advice from former players that doesn't always work for them. Uh, or that is outdated, that they kind of ignore people, even the ones that they should be listening to. Um, I remember Jeff Thompson told me a story where he tried to take Sean Tate aside uh, um, and talk to him, and Sean Tate basically put his headphones in and turned away. Um, uh, so, yeah, so I think that's probably the more the more common reaction. I'm trying to think of someone else. I think there was an English batter who had Mike Atherton uh, give him some tips, and he went up and looked at Atherton's batting average and it was lower than his in test cricket and um <laughs> and uh wasn't that interested um i did have to tell this person that actually athens was a really good player but he played in a tough era and had a bad back and uh <laughs> but but that's not how he saw it um yeah it, look former players they they go to these events they see these players um quite often it's um it's not always met well just because they do come from different generations and they're trying to do different things. You know, if, if you're a modern day spinner, you are probably sick and tired of the amount of times that people come up to you and say something along the lines of, uh, you should have more fielders. Uh, so you should have more fielders up in the ring and then like trying and you trying to explain to the former player. Well, the reason I have to play it back is because they'll still play the shot now and that there's a risk in them even just getting a, pushing a single for a one. Um, I'd rather them take a risk doing that than take a risk and get a four from it or a six from it. So, um, yeah, it's certainly something that happens a lot. I think, uh, you get sort of two kinds of former players when it comes to it. A lot of them are just trying to be really encouraging. Um, uh, you know, of, oh, I saw you play, you're really good, you know, keep at it and hope that that helps. And then the other kind of player is probably more about the sort of technical stuff. Um, and sometimes that goes down with a lead balloon. And sometimes you get those sort of Gavin Robinson stories. I'm trying to think of another positive one for you. Um, but there is one. And I know a player was telling me about it recently that uh, some former player took him aside um, and really helped him. But I can't remember who it was now. But yeah, look, it it, it happens. Uh, even the players, even the players like uh, who aren't coaches, they still have a lot of technical knowledge. I, I know um, I was talking to Steve Harmison recently about something, and he said something that I've never heard anyone else say before, but it was that in-swingers are generally shorter than out-swing. And, and, and at first I didn't get it, and then I realized what he was saying was, and he sort of followed it up eventually, said it was that bowlers drop their front arm. I don't know how many bowlers who try and bowl in-swingers and out-swingers know that that is a, that is a part of it. Um, and you look at someone like Ishan Sharma who bowled in-swingers and bowled too short for his career 
Um, I would like to think that someone told him that, but sometimes there's just one person seeing it really clearly and saying it out loud. Uh, Will says, has the second season 100 been a failure? What's with, uh, lots of withdrawal, uh, withdrawals, and BBC viewing figures down badly. Uh, they're down 20%, I think, aren't they, altogether? Um, the figures, you've got to remember that with TV figures, it's not a... Um, well, there's two things to remember. A, there was more publicity around the first series than they've ever had before. Um, and secondly, um, TV figures aren't affected just by the cricket. They're affected by other things, so the Commonwealth Games and all these sorts of other uh, factors play a part in that, um, you know, diff different viewing habits from year to year, different events that are on. Uh, the Women's Euros were on for some of the, the 100 as well, I assume. Um, so all those things affect TV ratings. Uh, player withdrawals is always going to happen in that kind of a league. Um, you know, BBC, uh, sorry, BBC, the Big Bash um, has a similar thing. Uh, if you're not playing, paying players absolute masses of money, you're you're going to have player withdrawals. You're going to have players who go off to play in other tournaments and all those sorts of things. So um, I'm not sure that I think the 100 have always been sort of, you know, sub IPL, and I don't see anything changing there as far as that. So they're always going to lose some of the best players. I really don't think that's as big of a deal as other people do because realistically you – your market for a local league, and that's what the 100 is, it's really a local league, is local fans um, and casual fans. And how many of them do they, you know, uh, are they interested? If, you know, <laughs> if, they, if they're not following cricket already, does it matter to them if AB DeVries and Andre Russell aren't playing? <laughs> like, um, uh, like, they don't know who those people are to begin with, right? So I, I don't think that's as big of a deal. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about this slight dip in the TV ratings unless you have another slight dip next year. Um, there should have been a regression because last year you couldn't move in the UK for someone moaning about the 100 or hyping it up. Um, and this year it's just been like a normal tournament. And so it should have gone back a little bit to normal, I would have thought. Uh, Satchmo, is South Africa's decision about first last week one of the worst such decisions you can recall? Instead of exposing England's batting weakness again, they reveled in their own. Um... I mean, no, it's not one of the worst decisions. Uh, I think uh, I don't really understand South Africa's team makeup, and I've been saying this in kind of all formats for a long time. They they're going in with one batter short and one extra seam bowler, um, and if you're going to do that, then you have to then support them. And we we know that it's harder to bat on the on the first innings in England than it is in the second innings. So. I don't see it as a defensive move. If if your bowl if, if bowling is your strength, then it's an attacking move. Um, and it doesn't feel to me at the moment, anyway, like teams are uh, always think about it that way when it's a test match and you're bowling first. Um, it's seen as a defensive move, but that's kind of stupid. Now I don't know why they did it. So I suppose that's the other thing here. Um, uh, you know, they, they they could have had very good reasons. They had the two spinners in the team, um, so perhaps it was. Uh, uh, you know, a, again, they were thinking, well, you know, if we can knock up 250, 300 and, you know, bowl England out for, you know, 50 less than that. Um, and then our, and then our third innings goes along, along okay. That means we've got the spinners and the pace bowlers at the end. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that we know what their strength is and that's not what I would have done. Um, but I don't think it's like one of the worst decisions ever in test cricket or anything like that. I mean, we've had, this cricket's been around for a long time. We've had a lot of bad decisions. Cam says, a lot of set of uh, the quality of players, batters in particular, who never got to go from the Australian domestic circuit in the 90s and 2000s. 
Uh, what do you think the best film we've never played a test for Australia? Um, uh, they've never played a test for Australia is probably Siddons, isn't it? Um, wait, did, oh God, I've now forgotten. Did Siddons play? No, he played one day, didn't he? Um, that said, I think when you look at Siddons and Stuart Law, um, sorry, I'm just, just searching this at the moment. Um, I mean, I think you can make a very, very big claim that for all the best players um, uh, in Australia and, you know, how many batters there were, probably the best player not to play for Australia in that area, in that area, in that era is probably Ian Harvey. He's not really a batter at all. Let's have a look. Jamie Siddons, one ODI, um, 160 first-class matches, an average of 44. My memory of that is that the majority of his first-class cricket, yeah, he never played in England, Jamie Siddons. Uh, if he plays first-class cricket in England, his average is probably much closer to 50 because that, if you have a look, that's generally what happens to a lot of them. Um, I think Jamie Siddons was probably at his, in his prime a better player than Stuart Law. Um, uh, all right, let's have a look at Stuart Law. Uh, so he played that one test match. He averaged 50 in first-class cricket. Um, I'd have to have a look at the, st the splits, but my guess is he probably averaged a lot more in county cricket than he did in shield cricket. So uh, having seen a, a lot of both of them, I would certainly say that those were the two most obvious ones. I'm trying to think of a less obvious batter. I suppose Jimmy Cox, um, Divinuto, Dean Hills, all very, very good players. Um, they all played in Bell Reeve when it was a batting strip. So harder to get a real view on that. Uh, oh, Murray Goodwin. He's probably another one. Obviously, goes off and plays for Zimbabwe. Fantastic cricketer. Um, struggled to even get in the Western Australian side, which tells you how strong they were. I think if there's any random Queenslanders, obviously Martin Love didn't play very much. Uh, yeah, Martin Love and Matthew Elliott were probably the two that played the least amount of cricket who should have played the most. Um, you know, rather than Law and Siddons, they were, you know, they're just sort of automatic players, I think. Um, uh, you know, looking back on, on on the Australian team. But if you just look at Ian Harvey's record, he averaged 35 in first-class cricket with the bat with 1,500s. And he would have done that at a fairly high strike rate as well. Uh, and in first-class cricket with the ball, he took 425 wickets at 27. Uh, fantastic player. Um, I th so I think he's the best player not to have played a test. Obviously, you know, I uh, played a lot of one days. I think he averaged, was it, 18 in one day as a bowling average of about 31 days with an economy of 4.7. Um, but, yeah, absolutely fantastic uh, when you look at him as a, as an overall talent. All right, I've lost all my pictures now. But uh, good question there. Oh. All right. Kennedy says, the DRS estimations take into account what ground a game is played at. Uh, the particular bowling, bowler bowling, trend of deliveries in current state. Well, it doesn't. Okay, so some of these things it doesn't have to take into account because um, uh, over a period of time, um, like unless it's the first ball, it, you know, it can work out that when the ball is keeping lower um, because it's tracking the ball. Uh, so it's not like it has to go, oh, okay, this is a pitch that keeps low like a human would do. It's like when that first ball pitches, and it goes up, it can tell the angles. Um, so it's working it out based on the angles of that rather than anything else. Um, so I, I don't believe it needs to uh, worry about that. Uh, what was the other thing? The bowler. Same with the bowler. It doesn't need to know what the bowler is, it, uh, can do because it knows the height, the release, the angle, and it's follow. It's tracking the ball, and then it's predicting the path based on, on what the ball has done 
before it bounces and after it bounces. It's not particularly worried about it um, um, doing anything else. So, for instance, it can't. Tra- if you've got a bowler who swings the ball very late, I'm trying to think, maybe someone like Ishan, um, Jimmy Anderson, perhaps at times. Uh, Tim Southey's probably another one. Um, it's it's only going to do that. It's only going to project that if the ball, if it can see the ball at the last minute, start to shape away. Um, I mean, generally, it, that's not going to be a huge issue anyway. But yeah, it's not looking at the individual players in that way. It is looking at literally the, the tracking of the ball. Uh, Ian says, purely as a bowler, which of England's four O five seamers, Flintoff, Jones, Hoggart, and Hammerson, would fit best into McCullum Stokes era England? Probably. Jones, isn't it? Uh, a little bit quick. Uh, well, him and Harmy are the two quickest. Um, although Flintoff's not that far. Flintoff's, he's a defensive bowler, though, wasn't he, Flintoff? Um, Hoggard, you don't need Hoggard because of Anderson. Um, Harmison covers them for tall bowlers, though, then, doesn't it? Which means they've still got Ollie Robinson and Broad. Um yeah, probably Jones. I don't think they've really ever found a, replica, a replicant for Jones. I think they briefly thought that was going to be Stuart Mika. Um, uh, Mahmoud, maybe, they thought as well. I'm, I'm missing someone else. There's another guy who came through as well. Um, but those sort of, you know, I suppose Jones was the, the Garen Goff after Darren Goff, and they've never really had anyone. So he's the hardest one to replace. Um, so I think in that you know, that's what they that's what they want. They want a bowler, and, and Jones, to be honest, never really did it um, consistently either, but they really want a bowler who could bowl 90 mile an hour, low skitty um, stuff. It can help with the reverse swing, who can bowl to tail enders and those sorts of things. And I think that's probably Jones, although Harmy has a great record against tail enders off the top of my head. So Harmy would be uh, very handy for modern day England um, from that perspective as well. All right. Karen Yaxley says, as I've mentioned before, I watch a lot of b- baseball and there are lots of stats where players are measured against replacement level players. Yeah. Essentially an average player. And it got me thinking, who would you say is the most average and least notable test match? Seamer, spinner, batter, and wicketkeeper. Okay. Ooh, I'd have to go through the numbers, but off the top of my head, Tim Southey is probably the obvious one. I think his record, if you look at his record in the first, what, eight, nine years of his career, he was almost bang on what the global average of seam bowlers was. And as the global average of seam bowlers has dropped, he's dropped um, a little bit lower. But I would say that, you know, year in, year out, uh, Tim Southey has been incredibly average um, uh, in that, uh, you know. And when we say average, I don't know what the baseball stats are, but I know in cricket only 30% of players um, are average or, ab- or above. So, you know, the average is not bad. Average is a very, very good player. And when you do it for as long as someone like Saudi has, even more so. Um, uh, but, yeah, off the top of my head, it's bowling average. And it's only because I looked him up because he's been nominated for the most improved player. Um, but, yeah, he was very, very high up uh, that list. Um, spinner. Spinner's a bit tough because... I would think it would be someone uh, because you have to factor in how much they bowl in age and how much they don't. So I, w- I would think that Nathan Lyon would probably be pretty close to the bowling average. Oh, actually, maybe even he'd be a little bit lower. Um, maybe Moen Ali, weirdly enough, would be close to a replacement level, level spinner. Uh, wicketkeeper. I think the, the averages for wicketkeepers are far lower. I think I looked this up the other day, and BJ Watling's got the eighth or ninth highest average of all time for a wicketkeeper with 2,000 runs. So what are you looking for? You're probably looking at someone like Dick Weller, although maybe Dick Weller's average is too low. 
Um, Saha, actually, might have been very close to a replacement level um, wicketkeeper with the bat. Uh, and who else we meet? And batter. I would have thought replacement level batter, you're probably looking at high 30s, aren't you? You may be looking at Johnny Bairstow at being a replacement level batter. Um, try to think who else has been around for a while. Faf Plessy, what did he end up with? High 30s, low 40s, maybe? Uh, they would probably be more your replacement level batters, I would have thought off the top of my head. But it is, it, they, this is why it's much harder than baseball. You know, best though has played in England and, and Duplessis has played in South Africa. You have lower batting averages in those two places. So they're probably both better than replacement level players, I would have thought. Um, but yeah, Stokes, best though, I suppose. Um, Faf Duplessis, um, i trying to think of anyone else. Yeah, I think once you're over 40, we probably for a top six player, certainly, certainly for a top five player, you're probably above replacement level. Um, but, but I haven't looked at that for batters. Bowlers, I know kind of off the top of my head. Um, and wiki keepers, I can make a better estimation, but top six batters, uh, it's a little bit trickier. Uh, great question though, Cameron. Uh, Aditya says, if you had to pick a spin quartet from a pool of the four greatest Indian spinners, who would you pick? So he's got. Bedi Chandra, Venkat, Prasanna, Kumble, Harvajan, Ashwin. Might pick, uh, might pick Vinu Mankad so I can have some batting. But um, <laughs> all right. So I've got, I put uh, Chandra and Ashwin are automatics for me. Um, so I've got those two as my automatics. I don't like Harvajan away from home. I would then go Bish and Bedi. So I've now got. Two guys are spinning away. I've got Ashwin. Then I would, ooh. then I would be picking between. Well, you haven't got Ravi Jadeja here. Interesting enough. Um, uh, then I would pick from Prasanna and Kumble, I suppose. I might go with Kumble, but that's probably because I've seen him bowl a lot more than Prasanna. Um, but yeah, Baby, Chandra, Ashwin are kind of almost all automatics. Although if Jadeja was on this list, I would pick Jadeja over Baby um, just because he can bat. Um, but yeah, I think maybe Kumble. He doesn't really spin it away anyway. Um, uh, but you might pick Prasana. You would certainly pick Prasana if you had um, a bunch of left-handers in the opposition. And, or or Harbhajan, actually, even away from home. James says, do you have any plans to make another full-length documentary in the future? Uh, whether something traditional like Death of a Gentleman or John Boyce style deep dive. Yeah, I think I'd probably do more of the John Boyce stuff. Um, we've got 40 minute, uh, video on uh, Stuart Broad, which will release in three different parts. Um, uh, I've got some kind of more documentary stuff, um, that we want to put out on the, on the channel. I mean, the thing with the channel at the moment and it's kind of the whole thing with the 99.94 network is that we, we have funding to start, but we don't have the kind of funding I'd like to be able to do the kinds of videos I'd like. But yes, I want to have a proper team around me. I, you know, at the moment we have like a part-time um, animator. I get him for about a day, day and a half a week. Um, uh, you know, we get some graphics for people that work with us, but again, not permanently. You know, uh, I don't have a writer working working for me at the moment. Although Ake, um, Ake, um, who's Ake? Akesh isn't ever the name. Um, Abhishek uh, Mukherjee is coming on at um, uh, Double Century, 
you know, eventually I'd like to bring him on and do more stuff. And there's some other writers that I want to bring on as well. Um, so certainly as things go ahead, you know, we'll be doing uh, that sort of stuff more. But yeah, I do have some plans, but probably more in the John Boy style, um, but with interviews as well. So I'll probably do a combination between what Death of a Gentleman was, which is your more traditional kind of documentary, and more what John Boyce does. I think what there's one big project I have where I think I can interview a bunch of really big name people um, in one subject, and then we can animate around it. Um, and you know, and, and perhaps instead of putting that straight onto YouTube, we try and sell that to Netflix or to Amazon Prime or whoever, because um, it. it yeah it will be a very, very fascinating thing. And um, uh, Ross says, should Kent have offered Darren Stevens a new contract? Look, I've talked to a few people from Kent this year. Um, everyone seemed to be suggesting the same thing, uh, which was that, you know, Darren is on his way out and maybe knew that himself. Um, I saw him bowl. Obviously, he can't really bowl in Division One. The pitches aren't quite the same. Things just haven't gone his way. Um, but also, you know, it had to break eventually. And I think with Brad Hogg, um, uh, it was really quick at that age when it goes. Uh, and I think Hoggy was, you know, probably wanted another season as well. Um, and it sort of got to the end and it was quite clear that that probably wasn't going to happen. Uh, with Darren Stevens, we should see a similar uh, pattern. Um, to be fair, though, he, you know, he might still get picked up and do some, uh, uh, do some extra cricket. Um, he's still talented. Uh, I don't think he's finished, but he'd probably have to find the right team. Should Kent have offered him a new contract? Probably not. I think they should probably look to move on. Um, and, and, you know, he's kind of fulfilled all of his role there, I would think. Uh, Christopher says, what's been the highest quality era of Test cricket? Uh, probably this era. <laughs> probably not the answer people want to hear. Um, uh, maybe the era just before this. Maybe what? 20... 12 to 2018, 19 before T20 and, and people, some of the better players, you know, picking and choosing more. Um, but, you know, I think if you look at it, all things considered, uh, this is, uh, you know, we have more test players available. Um, you know, there are more players in each of the major countries to choose from now. Um, if you're looking at it, you know, uh, I mean, 80s and 90s, probably the 90s is the best one. Because at that stage, you've got quite a few test teams coming through. Everyone is prioritizing test cricket. Um, but you still have, you know, uh, you, you certainly still have some weaker players. You know, we have more fast bowlers now. We have probably more batters now who can, you know, are fitter and can bat for longer. Um, uh, so I think all things considered, this is still probably a stronger era, but almost every era is stronger than previous eras just because of the improvements that are made. Um, but you could certainly make a very good argument for 90s and then probably, as I said, that period, maybe even from 2008 to 2016 or, or 2019. <laughs> um, and perhaps we're starting to see now the the effects of pl the best players in the world not always picking T20. Uh, sorry, not always picking Test cricket. Got that one wrong. Um, thank you, everyone. Uh, remember, you can put your hand up in the room, but thanks. That was all the Patreon questions. Put your hand up in the room and you can ask anything like Vamshi has. Vamshi, you there? Oh, Vamshi, you got mute on, mate. Hey, Jared, can you hear me? I can hear you. What's your question? So I was uh, looking at uh, some of your old articles and uh, there was an interview 
where you were interviewing an analyst. And I was curious, since you worked as an analyst for the Central Asia Kings and CPN, what does coaching usually entail in these uh, league tournaments? Uh, I know there's like a bunch of head coaches, assistant coaches, bowling coaches, bandit coaches. But do the players actually work on any specific things that they haven't learned as they've been you know, coming up through the ranks? Or what does a usual practice session look like? Yeah, it's, it's a really good uh, question. Uh, I was very frustrated at them. Essentially, what the coach does is he comes in and tries to make everyone feel good. He tries to work out how the team is going to fit together. Um, and then there is very little specific practice of training, of uh, skill sessions and all that, just because there isn't a lot of time. Um, uh, you've got to remember, it depends on the, on the tournament, but if you look at the IPL of the Big Bash, probably the South African tournament, the CPL, um, maybe even the 100 uh, when you factor it in, there's just so much traveling between the cities in the tournament space. Um, maybe Bangladesh might be one of the few that doesn't really have that. Um, even Pakistan has that now. But, you know, it's one advantage to playing in the UAE, actually, is that you can spend more time doing skill stuff. So, yeah, it's not, it's certainly not an ideal situation. Um, so there's a lot of that. You probably have quite a few different kinds of, training sessions you probably have sort of more traditional nets you would have sort of more nets that are in match situations and then you probably have some sense of wicket practice um uh, training sessions as well you can have extra nets so generally you you use the nets on the ground but if if the ground facility has sort of nets on, on the side you that's where you do your throw downs and everything um but there's just you've got to you just got to factor in how much travel there is in some of these leagues. So no, and they don't, and generally most outside the IPL, you're getting maybe a week. So it's a huge problem. Uh, and it's why you almost have to turn up fully ready and, you know, and firing all the time. So it's not an ideal situation to coach in. It's a, you kind of want a completely different coach. I, I remember um, when I was with the Melbourne stars uh, after uh, Stephen Fleming stood down, they asked me to help with the coaching, uh, find a coach. And I, and I sort of said to them, you're thinking about looking for a coach, but you need to work out what you need. And I said, I think with the Melbourne Stars, probably what you want is someone who will work, uh, you know, an extra two or three weeks on either side of the tournament and develop all your local players because you don't actually have that many international players coming in. You know, the, the international players sort of come in and you should be picking them as role players in something like the Big Bash. And what you really should be doing is taking that you know, what, what, what was it, six weeks or eight weeks or however long it seems to be now, um, 100 weeks. And you should be using that as a development tool. And and I don't think that was quite the case uh, when I was there. They went with David Hussey, so I, I didn't get ever to work with David Hussey, so I don't know what kind of coach he, he ended up being. But that was my big thing was you need to know what kind of coach you want. And I think most T20 coaches, you don't really want a development coach. You actually want a, what you would call a locker room guy, a vibes guy. Um, you want someone to come in, tell everyone how great they are. Uh, and you probably want someone who was a former player just because he will, bo you know, a well-known former player just because he'll get instant respect. It's not because he's a better coach, but he has the ability to do that. But it's a really tough gig. You're coming in cold. You probably don't get to pick all of your assistant coaches. Um, you know, uh, you may not get to pick your analyst unless you're a big name coach as well. Um, so you sort of come in cold. You're trying to put everything together in the first week and then, you, you know, it's game, uh, you know, game travel, game travel, game travel. It's very hard. And, and what I found in cricket is that 
the there isn't enough emphasis done on the players who are not in the 11 on training them up. So quite often we would have training off because we'd have a travel day and I'd be like, yeah, but what about for the players not in the team? This is a chance to, you know, we, we had um, uh, Odeon Smith at St. Lucia, for instance. And I was like, he should be in the nets every day. Like you should be working on his batting every day. You'd be working on him getting a slow ball every day. And, and we didn't do that. Um, and, and I think that, that's a big problem. And the other one is that you would find most coaches in the world don't really think, especially when it comes to T20 cricket, that nets are particularly helpful um, and the way that nets are run are particularly helpful. And yet it's a very hard thing to come in to a new tournament when you don't have a relationship with all these different players and change the system. Um, and so what ends up happening is, uh, you know, we sort of the same old, same old happens again. Um, and it's a bit of a shame. But thanks for your question, mate. Remember, raise your hand, ask a question if you have one, like Nikhil has. Nikhil, you there? Well, just a question. Uh, in view of, I'm going to try if possible, so please pardon me if I go a little long. But Jared, so uh, when Stokes retired, there was almost an overload, lavish praise of, over his ODI career. Cut to a few weeks later when his man on the Again, South Africa have, you know, Mike Warren, and I don't take him too seriously, but the general consensus is, okay, that's another great performance by Stokes when it matters. But I just feel that oftentimes the perception of how good a player is, is really driven by media narrative as opposed to their actual facts and figures. For example, everyone talks of Kane Williamson having the best technique of the four, five, four, but in reality, his stats against the top teams are not very great. You know, he averages 80 against, a lot of his, his overall stats average is pumped up by averaging 80 against Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka and West Indies <laughs> played at home and he's played like over a quarter of his matches against these four teams. You know, he averages in mid-30s in India, England, uh, so, you know, uh, Sri Lanka and South Africa which is 20 matches in these countries. Strokes as well. I don't think Jadeja has lesser match-winning or match-turning performances in test matches as by, I don't think Strokes has ever won England a match in India or Australia. Jadeja has played influential roles in doing the same in Australia and England. And he's a match winner with the ball at home, where Strokes not necessarily. So, what do you think is this attributed? Is it the vast media coverage of cricket in England? Because I just think that there's a dis disparaged... <laughs> you, you don't think Jadeja gets vast media coverage? No, but I just don't think... <laughs> I don't know that he does, but I just think that because he's not one of those fashionable uh, sort of players, the media savvy, etc. I just don't think he that he does. And at the same time, someone like a Kane Williamson. Well, I mean, Kane Williamson doesn't get a real boost. I mean, he, I mean, you sort of started off by answering your own question: Why is Kane Williamson so widely regarded? Is because he has an absolutely brilliant technique. So that is part of the reason why he's so highly regarded. Also, yes, you can pick holes in his average, in his record, but he averages 52 in test cricket. Like, uh, uh, you know, every, well, well okay. I, I mean, first thing, I'm going to stop you there. Bradman's average is bumped up by the fact that um, uh, when he wasn't playing England, right? So Bradman averages 88, I think, against England and 130 against their, uh, combined against everyone else, right? It is still pretty good, right? But think about what I just said. Bradman's record is better, not against... I, I, Bradman's worst record was against the best team, right? 
everyone's best record, everyone's worst record is against the better teams or in, in other locations, right? That's a, that's a fairly standard thing of all players. As Sydney Barnes, we still talk about Sydney Barnes as one of the greatest bowlers of all time. He averages eight against South Africa or nine against South Africa and 21 against Australia, right? <laughs> um, pretty big difference there. Pr- pr- you know, every good player is going to cash in when they play against bad teams. Um, Murley absolutely cashes in against bad teams as well. I just think that Root and Kohli, and obviously Smith, but Root and Kohli in particular have much have, have a much balanced test record against the bigger teams as opposed to a Kane Williamson is. Well, they play against them a lot more. They play against them a lot more too. So, so if Williamson was playing four and five test match series against teams he was really good against, um, and he got to play against Jimmy Anderson all the time, he'd probably work Jimmy Anderson out, right? He'd probably work out Ashwin and Jadeja and these sorts of players the way that Root has. But Jim, but Williamson barely ever gets to play against them. I mean, he plays against Australia so infrequently um, that he doesn't get the, the chances that those sorts of players get. So you've got to be realistic with the way that you put these things, right? A, as I said, most players have that. Um, to come back to your other point, I mean, it's certainly not... He can't say that the English press is any bigger than the, the Indian press. So the Jadeja-Stokes thing doesn't work that way. The difference between Jadeja and Stokes is that one, Stokes is a seam bowling all-rounder. And I think that is a really important thing because those are seen to be more important than spin bowling arounders. And the fact that Jadeja is, hasn't... Yeah, but you, you've got to let me talk here because you, you keep talking over me. Um, it is a perception, but it's also true because seam bowlers are more important all around the world um, than, spin bowl, uh, than, than spin bowling all-rounders are, right? So in the first innings of a game around the world, Ben Stokes is going to be far more useful than Ravi Jadeja is ever going to be, right? So that, that, that's an important thing. The other huge difference between the two of them is Ben Stokes is a top six batter who could probably bat as, top, as high as five and four in a pinch consistently, right? And has always been that level of batter. Jadeja used to bat at eight and seven, right? And he's slowly moving his way up the way that Dan Vittori did, the way that Imran Khan did. And it happens a lot with all-rounders. I've spoken about this a lot before. There's a huge difference between someone who can bat number seven and number eight and someone who can bat at number five and number six. And the difference is that Stokes batting at number six instantly gives you five bowling options, frontline bowling options, right? When you bat at number seven, it depends on how good your wicketkeeper is. And if they can bat at number six, then you'll get five bowling options. And if you bat at number eight, you don't actually bring in any extra bowling options, right? So... Jason Holder and Ravi Dadeja puling on their overall numbers look like they're, ha- they're much better players than Ben Stokes. But Ben Stokes has the ability to mean that England can go into any test match they want with five frontline bowlers. That has not always been the case in Ravi Dadeja's career. It's certainly not always the case in Jason Holder's career. He's probably even behind Jadeja when it comes to that. So part of it is those kinds of impacts. The other thing is that the way that they play I think Jadeja is massively underrated. And one of the reasons he's underrated is because he's monosyllabic as a spin bowler, right? He's basically, he's like an automaton. He comes in and he wangs wangs down his left arm finger spin. And he comes in and he wangs his left arm finger spin down, right? Look at Ben Stokes. The emotion, the thought process, all the different things that he has. That all, that those sorts of cricketers generally get more credit than cricketers who come in and do the more robotic stuff. Now, realistically, 
you and I know that doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it comes down to wickets and runs and what you provide your team and what you allow your team to do. The other thing that Ben Stokes does specifically, which is great, um, and I'm trying to think if, if Jadeja was a particularly brilliant first innings bowler or second innings bowler, he would also get, um, uh, he would get this sort of bump is Ben Stokes does the thing that very few other bowlers in the world do. He basically takes wickets, uh, with the old ball in the middle overs as a seamer. So his speciality, he takes, he takes wickets. He takes wickets with the old ball in the middle, in the middle before the new ball comes, right? So the only seam bowler in the world who has a better record from overs 40 to 70, I think it is, before it starts to reverse swing, is uh, Neil Wagner, right? So Ben Stokes is actually elite at taking wickets with an old ball as a seamer. There aren't many players in the world who are good at that unless the ball's reverse swinging, and he doesn't need it to reverse swing to be able to take those wickets. So again, what you have with Ben Stokes is you have that extra uh, amount of skill which means he actually gives you something that most frontline seamers don't give you there's a lot about the way he plays that is really really important yes he's overblown but i think you'll find that that you know shakib hassan his record is fantastic and yet he's not even in the conversation uh for great all-rounders more often than not right and i think that shakib hassan because that he keeps he keeps skipping that's nothing overseas yeah, but regardless of that, like Jadeja wasn't always picked for, for test matches overseas either, right? Um, and it took Jadeja a long time to, to get into that. that. That comes back to, again, a fact that spinners aren't always picked for, for matches overseas, right? Whereas Stokes is always going to be picked in Asia because you'll pick him as your fourth seamer or your third seamer, or even if you had to, your second seamer on occasions, right? So there is more use that Ben Stokes has I still think if you're basing it purely on numbers, and uh, you know, if you're looking at the three most valuable players in the world, it's between Ben Stokes, uh, Jason Holder, and Ravi Jadeja, and you'd have to do a hugely deep dive to work out which one of them is better. But there are obvious things that Ben Stokes does. The other thing you have to mention when you talk about Ben Stokes being a one-day player, I think most of us who do the numbers know that his numbers when it comes to his bowling in limited overs cricket, have always been quite poor. He's never really worked out how to bowl with a white ball. And, and I've been saying that since 2015. And I don't think anything has changed with that. Um, but he was a fantastic white ball batter. What did he, I think his strike rate's around 90 and he averages 40. Um, and we know that when he gets going, he can, he can basically do anything. But again, he never quite worked out how to get the best of himself at any white ball batting. But he did win a World Cup for England. Right, um, that's a fairly major. That's a fairly major game to win. Yeah, James Faulkner did it. Uh, did that as well. What did Botham Gambier? I don't think either of those. Two- wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They did not win World Cups with single performances. Okay. Did they? Am I missing something? Which 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 World Cup did James Faulkner win? The 2016 World Cup. He was the man of the match in the final. I'm just talking about. He was the man of the match, but. But the Australia cruised to that pretty easily with the bat. I don't think James Falk and, and Stoke and, and Stark started that by getting rid of McCullum. Uh, Gautam Gambia, uh, I'm assuming you mean 2011. Yes. So give me give, who were the top scorers in that game? Yes, I'm just saying to say that. But they didn't win it on their own. The difference is they didn't win it on their own. Stokes, Stokes was batting. Who's the second top scorer for England in that game? Like Stokes literally batted, what, number five? And went all the way down to the last ball. 
right? There's a big difference between that and what James Faulkner did. And to be fair, James Faulkner should be remembered as a better cricketer, um, but his knee gave up and he, and he started playing terrible cricket because of it. And partly he got in his head and he tried to make himself into a batter uh, when he should have been a hitter who bowled. Um, and and Gautam Gambia played a very good innings in a World Cup final, which is completely different to what we're talking about with Stokes' innings. Stokes' innings is, uh, uh, you know, one of the best innings in, in a World Cup final I've ever had. It's probably up there with, you know, the sort of, you know, Ricky Ponting and, and um, uh, some of the other, you know, great innings uh, from earlier on. Um, in, in, uh, I'm trying to think of, his, was it the Silva? Um, those sorts of innings, right? Uh, Gautam Gambia's, no one talks about Gautam Gambia's innings anymore. Right, it's not even the most memorable thing when we talk about that game. So you do have to understand that this isn't just a case of Ben Stokes being pumped. It's because of what Ben Stokes does, how he does it, what his use is to the team, and how fast bowling around us are usually pumped generally. Right? I mean, Flintoff was massively pumped up. Right? Cameron Green is already getting massively pumped up. Right? Um, you know, so you do get you, you do get those sorts of players. Um, Hardy Pandya is for, for what Hardy Pandya has done, and I think he's a fantastic player. But for what he's done, the hype around him doesn't match his game in game out um, abilities for India at the moment, right? But it makes sense. There aren't that many guys like him out there, so of course we're going to pump him up, right? You know, um, there are some of us still talking about Chris Cairns, for God's sake, you know, and Lance Kluzner. I'm doing a video on Lance Kluzner. Um, so those sorts of players do stick with us a little bit longer. Um, I still get messages about, oh God, what's his name? Um, uh, the late seventies Australian player, um, who played about eight one dayers and everyone still talks about him. Um, oh God, I've forgotten his name. Uh, but you still, yeah, you still get people pumping up players like that. And it's because, uh, you know, that, that ability. And once you get an all rounder who sort of, you know, who pops up, uh, you know, Keith Miller. Those sorts of players, and Ian Botham. You know, we now know that Ian Botham only had a couple of good years. We now know that Hadley and and Kapil Dev are probably well. Hadley's probably not an all rounder. He's probably a bowler who can bat. Um, and Kapil Dev was probably more of an all rounder. But again, he didn't really stretch India's bowling uh, so that they had genuine five options um, in the way that Botham probably did, and maybe even Flintoff probably did. Right. That's not to say that Kapil Dev wasn't a fantastic cricketer because he was. Um, and we're still talking about capital death, right? And we're still talking about Imran Khan. Um, and, and that's because we just don't have that many of those sorts of players, um, you know, uh, available to us. And, and we've missed out on a couple from South Africa, you know, probably Mike Proctor is the, the most obvious one. So, sorry, I'm little Barry Richards played four test matches and they're right to have, you know, Ian Chappell or Mark Nicholas. Uh, that's where I'm talking about the influence of great writing on the sport. How much that can shape narratives more than the action pack? I mean, how can you call Barry? No, 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 Barry, no. Barry Richards played four test matches. It was great. And that, that wasn't his fault, mate. I know, I know, I know. I, 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 go and watch a clip of Barry Richards play and you will understand it in five minutes. Right? There, put him on the sit with this. The, the, best, the best one with narrative is Victor Trumper, right? I yeah. can never understand why Victor Trumper got so much great credit when he averaged high 30s in a period where Clem Hill averaged more than him um, and, and Jack Hobbs averaged way more than him, right? But then you go back and you start to look at this and you're like, well, wait a minute. Victor Trumper was probably scoring at a strike rate of 30 quicker than anyone else. Um, and on top of that, Victor Trumper was the first player to go, oh, you got a ball outside of stump? Well, I'm going to hit it to the leg side anyway. 
You have to know who these people are. You have to know why Mark Nicholas and Ian Chappell talk about Barry Richards. It's not by accident, mate, right? It's not by accident that we're talking about Cam Williamson. It's not by accident that we're talking about Ben Stokes. These are incredible players who, um, and, and there are players who are very good. Uh, Herbert Sutcliffe, uh, Ken Barrington, Ravi Jadeja, uh, maybe Giles Callis could even be in that, right? Who don't get it. And that's because they don't have that, maybe that sense of romanticism or they didn't push the game forward. Um, or maybe they were seen as selfish or maybe they were seen as one that I mentioned, right? To be fair to Victor Rambo, at least he played 48 test matches. So there was a decent body of work at the highest level. Mate, he had a He had a in the 30s. And we think he was a better player than Bradman. What are you talking about? Literally, uh, yeah. look at the early coverage of Bradman. They said Trump was still better than him and he averaged in the 30s. I know. So if you want to talk about what you're talking about, Trump is the person you should be talking about, right? Barry Richards would have played 80 test matches. He didn't get the chance to play any test matches because his team was bad, right? Yes. Because look it's at what Barry Richards did point. when he played at the top level. We know more than enough about Barry Richards. We have World Series cricket. We have World 11s. We have the best bowlers in the world saying that he was the best they ever went up against. We, we, we know that Barry Richards was great. We, we, we don't know how great, right? We don't know if he would have ended up being better than Biv Richards in his time. We don't know if he would have ended up being better than Alan Border and um, David Mendo. Right? We don't know that. And we'll, I, and we'll never be able to know that. But fuck, we know he was pretty close, mate. Um, and you need yeah. to, the, the, these things don't happen by accident. I think what you're thinking is that like, the, the, the media picks their favorites. The, the media didn't pick Ben Stokes. Ben Stokes picked Ben Stokes. Have you seen him play? He picks himself. It's impossible not to cover Ben Stokes and get sucked into it. It's impossible as a fan not to see Ben Stokes and be like, oh my God, look at this guy throwing everything at it, right? Joe Root is robotic, right? It's, what Joe Root does is underrated, but he's robotic. What Kane Williamson done, does is more graceful. They're always that how the human eye works. That is, uh, this isn't a media thing, not denying that. right? Because yeah, we're, literally, not denying that. we're literally saying that Kane Williamson it's, it's being puffed up ahead of Birak Kohli and Joe Root. They've got the two biggest medias in the world, right? It's not about that. It's about the player and the timing and what they do and how they grab people individually, right? That's how the narrative builds. Journalists aren't any different than you. We're just the same kinds of nerds, right? And, and so I, I think, I think you, as you've already pointed out, it then, then the media doesn't mean anything. Today's your doesn't get pumped up and Stokes does. That's about personality. That's about the way they play the game. That's about how useful they are. Anyway, mate, thank you so much for your question. Uh, thanks, thanks, Dada. Thanks, Dada. Nice talking to you again. Jamie, you there, mate? Hey, Jared. How's it going? Not too bad. What's your question? I, I really enjoyed that last debate, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. That was good. Now, I want to talk about the intangibles that you get mm -hmm. in, in analysis. Kind of touches on what you were just saying about Ben Stokes and how he... Uh, the emotion that you that he brings to the team and the way that that lifts a crowd and it lifts a team, but you seem—I don't know if I'm mischaracterizing you—but you seem to think that that's all BS and that that doesn't really exist. It's all about wickets and 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 and, and runs. Well, I mean, at, at the end of the day, ben, so the thing with Ben Stokes is we talk a lot of bullshit about what he does, but we don't talk about the things he actually does really well. Right. So what does he do really, really well? So Judasia can't come in. 
um, at number five against the world's fastest bowlers and start whacking them for six, right? That I don't care about the energy of the crowd or what that does to your teammates. That's a skill, right? That's a measurable skill that we have on Ben Stokes, right? The other thing that we talked about there was his ability to take wickets with the old ball as a seamer. Again, outside of Neil Wagner, he's the best bowler in the world of being able to do that over the last five or 10 years. Again, that's a measurable skill. You see it and you go, oh, look, he's raising the team and he's getting everyone excited. And I'm like, he's actually got really good skills at being able to get wickets with the old ball. And he's worked out a method that works for him. Um, that if he does, if he wasn't able to do that, at the end of the day, he can be, look at Freddie Flintoff, as emotional as Freddie Flintoff could be. That team was still, had a bowler who averaged in the mid 30s and a batter who averaged in the, what, low 30s? They'd rather have it, you know, a, a bowler averaging in the low 30s and a batter averaging in the high 30s, which is, kind of what Stokes does, right? It's, it's not mutually exclusive, though. Both things can be true. And you can have a player that can do those things but can't raise the crowd and can't raise his teammates. I've never seen a bowler take a wicket and not raise the crowd, Jamie. I've never seen a bowler at, in a, at a home test take a wicket and not raise the crowd. But the degree to which he's raising the crowd. So what's better, someone who can take regular wickets and raise the crowd a little bit or someone who takes fewer wickets and raises the crowd more? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you... Yeah, no, you, I see that, yeah. You really want the extra wickets because eventually, the, look, Peter Siddle was kind of a one-dimensional bull, bull, bull figure, right, for Australia. If he takes wickets in Melbourne, he raises the crowd more because it's in Melbourne. But as a general rule, I don't think Australian fans were ever like, that. everyone loved Peter Siddle, but he wasn't like a totem, right? He wasn't like a Flintoff or a Stokes or like a, even like a Mitchell Stark type figure, right? If he's taking regular wickets, the crowd is going to get up anyway. You, the crowd didn't even know who Scott Boland was <laughs> before, before those test matches, right? And by the end, the crowd completely gets into Scott Boland. And that's because he's taking a lot of wickets. So I think that, I think that that is that sort of, you're almost narrative, you know, looking for that narrative where it's like over, oh, you know, Jimmy Anderson's a grumpy bum. We all know that, right? But the England crowd get behind him and have always been behind him because he takes a shitload of wickets. Right. And his wickets aren't worse less than Ben Stokes's are. Now, Ben Stokes's wickets might be more interesting to a team because of when they come. As I said, that gets back to the skill thing. Right. And it feels like a bigger emotional thing when the other team has put on a 120 partnership in the middle overs and suddenly Ben Stokes comes in and reverse swings one through the gate. It does feel like a bigger emotional thing, but the wicket's still worth the same. So, what, what, yeah, I hear that. But then one, one last sort of thought experiment. If, let's say, Joe Root had decided to stay on as captain and the team essentially hasn't changed this summer, do you think that England would have had the same buoyancy around their test team this summer if Joe Root had still been captain? No, because Joe Root was defeated as a captain. I don't think he was, I don't think he had the emotional headspace uh, to be leading anymore. Um, I don't think he would have had this energy. Uh, maybe but McCullum gets that out of him, right? It's possible. Um, you, you know, new coach. You do get a bump quite sometimes when you get a new coach or a new captain, right? I mean, that's a, a, a thing that does happen. Um, uh, so I think those things are, are, are very important. But I'll put it to you that uh, if, if the, England, uh, the England batters have not looked much better since the ball's been moving around a lot more, even with McCullum and Stokes involved. What we saw was them try a new method when the ball was really flat and get away with it. Let's say they did exactly the same thing in those early test matches and the, and the Dukes kept moving, right? They could have got bowled out for 50 in one of those games. 
right? So would you still be saying the same thing or would you be saying um, the opposite, right? And that's kind of what where I'm, I come at it from, right? It's not that I don't know that I've been in team environments. I know there are certain people that can lift you up and certain people who don't. Ricky Ponting wasn't a very good tactical captain. People forget that Ricky Ponting was brilliant at getting the best out of medium level players, right? He, you know, I think it was Andrew Simon said that you play for Ricky Ponting, you felt like you could run through a brick wall, right? And there are a lot of players who weren't that good who felt that way. They didn't always feel that way under Steve Waugh. Steve Waugh was a slightly better tactical captain, though, right? Mark Taylor was a brilliant tactical captain, but wasn't particularly good at getting the best out of average players, right? If you look at that, these are things that we can't completely tell, but we know these basic things are true. Uh, there are going to be times when it would be better for England to have Joe, Joe Root as captain, and there are certainly going to be more times by the look of it at the moment where it would be better for them to have Ben Stokes. But Ben Stokes uh, ran into a situation where everything was in England's favour um, and they and they play brilliant cricket as well. And that has to come down to at least partly because McCullum and Stokes allowed them to play a different way. But I don't think we could sit there and just say that the personalities alone were enough to do it. Um, thanks for your question, though, Jamie. I've got, actually just realized I've got to go. Sorry to everyone else. Sorry to Hardeep. But I noticed here that James has written his question down. I'll try and get to it. Uh, on what first-class record was Finch uh, picked to play uh, tests? Um, uh, well, no, no first-class record. They picked him uh, based on the fact that he was very good against the best white ball bowlers in the world, and most of those were the best test bowlers in the world, and they thought that would translate. I think at Surrey, they thought that he would be better with the red ball. I, if, uh, Finch is one of those people that I think makes everyone feel more comfortable when he's around, but as I've said consistently, it just doesn't quite translate the way that it should. Um, and because of that, um, he's never been as successful as he should. I don't think picking someone without good red ball record, uh, and, and I'm talking even for good, I mean, averaging over 35 and making regular hundreds um, is, is, is already a good first-class record. Um, I think if you sub those two things, uh, averaging under 35 and you're not making regular hundreds, I think it's really hard to be a good red ball player, no matter how good you are against the best white ball balls in the world, um, James. And, um, yeah, I think there was, there was a lot of, um, uh, uh, so I think there was a lot of nonsense that sort of came in with that. Look, we've seen England try it with Jason Roy, Alex Hales, um, you know, we've seen other teams try it, uh, and it doesn't work. I'm still yet to see a player who is a very poor red ball player in test, in first class cricket, work it out in test cricket because it's harder and it should be harder. Um, so it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, I've got to go. Hopefully the recording works and everything went through fine. Uh, but thank you to everyone who was here on the live. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, remember to go over to 99.94 and listen to all the different podcasts that we have. We now have West Indies. No, we don't have Australia. We have West Indies, England, India, South Africa, and we've got Sri Lanka soon to come. And Double Century is going to be coming very shortly as well. So head over to 99.94 app or just look for 99.94, whichever one of those teams I just mentioned, and you'll be able to listen to them. Thank you very much, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel on 99.94. You can now download us wherever you find your apps just by putting in 99.94. There'll be other cricket podcasts not actually hosted by me, and there'll also be some radio commentary coming soon. And if you have listened this long, you probably like what we do, and that is great. So please rush over and support us on Patreon, which has many extra advantages the podcast doesn't have, like asking earlier questions. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you. 
because we have a lot of things. You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimball. Nick McCorriston is our sound maestro. Bakundra Bandredi presses record on the videos and then falls asleep. Orajasi Sampati makes the podcast into video gold. And Shubanka Bhattacharya makes pretty, pretty graphics. Oh.